Well, it is good to be back with you all again uh, today. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. If you want to turn there in just a moment, we're going to read together from there. And um, It is exciting to be here. It was, I enjoyed myself last time I was here. I've been excited to come back today uh, and share with you. Uh, just uh, it's such a blessing. And so I want to say thank you on behalf of the Central Kentucky Network of Baptists for, for just being a part of our network, for supporting us by, by helping, uh, by doing that, you're helping uh, churches all across Central Kentucky and not only Central Kentucky, uh, but across the state, across the nation and across the world. And so just uh, really appreciate that. And I also want to say thank you for uh, some of you all know David Stokes and uh, you may be aware that he had a heart attack back in December. And so we, uh, if you've been praying for him, we just want to say thank you for that. He's recovering well. Uh, the doctors have told him he'll get to go back to preaching soon. Uh, when he had his heart attack, that was the first thing he asked him. He said, when do I get to go back to preaching? And uh, the doctor looked at him and she said, well, um, are you kind of boring and, and dull in your preaching? And he said, no, I am not boring and dull. I don't, you know, and, and she said, then you got to wait a little while. Uh, and she said, and so she told him he had six to eight weeks before um, his heart could handle to preach the word again. And so uh, she said, if you were just a little more Presbyterian, uh, you might be able to preach. And I, that's, again, that's a joke. Um, uh, we love our Presbyterian brothers. Uh, but no, so he's, he's recovering well. And so we're thank, thankful for those prayers. Let's read together this morning, Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, starting, uh, starting in verse 1, going all the way through 18. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you will set your foot, as I have promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea and in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell all the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in, go in and take the possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and to the half of the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you. And until they, until they too have taken possession of the land, the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. 
Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, we will put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Let's pray together first. Father, Lord, we come before you. Lord, recognizing you are a holy and sovereign God, one who speaks to us through your word. And Lord, we're grateful that you have given us a word that we can study, that we can learn from, that transforms our life. Father, it is what gives us life. It's what changes our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And so this morning, Father, as we go through this, Lord, may we be changed by it. May we glorify you and may we lift your name high. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So it's a new year. we got lots of things going on right now. Um, how many of you all in the new year are New Year's resolutions people? Anybody make New Year's resolutions? There's a couple of y'all. Some of y'all are afraid to answer because now you know the next question that comes after if you made New Year's res- resolutions. We're 15 days into the new year. How many of y'all have kept your New Year's resolutions? <laughs> we all, we, maybe we do, maybe we don't. There's, I, I tend to try not to make New Year's resolutions. Um, I personally try to, to make lifestyle changes or whatever it may be, and, and I, I try to put things in play, small increments. I don't do nothing crazy. I don't swear off bread. Like some people, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to eat bread for an entire year. You're going to eat bread. You're probably going to eat bread within the first two weeks. Uh, but, uh, you know, small changes, small opportunities. And with a new year, we always have new opportunities. We have new initiatives and new things that are going on. And, and so often when we come into those, many times the reason we don't make New Year's resolutions, right, is because we are often fear. We're, we're often in fear. What if I make a resolution or what if I decide to do something and, I'm, and I can't do it? What if I fail? What if it's really hard? And I, instead of failing, instead of trying to push forward, instead of trying to go through change, we just make no resolutions and we decide to stay where we're at doing what we do because it's comfortable and it's easy. And so this morning, we're going to walk through Joshua chapter 1 together this morning. And, and you may wonder, why did I choose this particular passage? Well, it's because here we see the Israelites going into a new opportunity, right? We're in a new year. We have new opportunities. And they, uh, we're in this new land, if you will, for ourselves. We're going into a, a time that we've never been before. And so we're going to have this new opportunity to trust God, to follow His command and trust in His Word. And the Israelites found themselves in the very same place, in the very same situation. They were in a new land. They were, had new opportunities. They had new, uh, a new sense of being able to trust God, to follow His command and trust in His Word. Now, I want to take just a moment here, and I want to give a bit of a warning as we read through this passage, right? There's danger when we read the words that are here. These are very stirring words. These are very, very powerful words that we've read, right? We continually see the command to be strong and be courageous. And so there's going to be a temptation, especially when we read this devotionally into our own lives, that we want to take this passage and we want to sit in the place of Joshua, right? And we want to believe and hear that that what's happening is that, that God's speaking directly to us and that we're to be strong and we're to be courageous and let me just tell you that's a bit dangerous primarily because you're not Joshua and I'm not Joshua 
right? The Lord has spoken in, into, this, into this particular time and this particular place for this particular people. And so what we tend to see sometimes happen in certain churches or certain church cultures is that they want to they put them, themselves in a particular place and claim something that's really not meant for them at all. But if this is not meant for us, this doesn't mean that we can't read this passage. It doesn't mean that we can't learn from it. And it doesn't mean that we can't take up a part of this and see particular principles from this passage that we can apply to our life today. And that's what I want to do for us today. I want to look at this passage and I want to see how we can apply it to our life in our own circumstances and in our own things, right, in our own life. And so here's the big idea that as we walk through together that I, I want you to come away with for, as a church this morning as we walk through. The big idea that when you look at this passage is that God's affirmations come from those embarking on the task of living out God's call on their life, right? God's affirmation come to those who are embarking on the task of living out God's call on their life. And there's gonna, we're going to walk through seven affirmations together this morning seven points that's a that's a long long <laughs> there's some people seven you got seven i thought you were baptist baptist supposed to have three points in a poem right oh we're, we're going to go with the holy pure uh holy number of seven right and seven's the perfect number right everything was created in seven days we see the seven candlesticks blah blah you know, anyways you'll pick up on that later but we're going to go with seven Seven affirmations. And I want to give you a little bit of background of what's happening here within the story. All right, let, let's understand when we get to this point of Joshua, when this book, when, when these words were, were written down for us, what's going on. Israel's headed into a new era, as I've already said. They were coming out of the wilderness. They just spent 40 years of wandering. The times that were ahead of them were certainly uncertain. They had been there once before. Forty years earlier, they had come up to the land. They had sent spies into the land to, to look and see the land that, the God, that God had promised them And, and back in Numbers 13 and 14. And if you know that story, if you remember that story, you see that they go in and they see all the things that were happening there. They were, they, there was a, a big challenge. The land was full of promise. The grapes were as big as your head. There was plenty, it was flowing with milk and honey, but there was a problem. There was a great big problem in the land. There, there was the, 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 the sons of Anak. They call them the, the Nephilim, giants in the land. It was it literally, they, they said, look, we appear as grasshoppers. Like, like when we, we see ourselves as grasshoppers in their eyesight, and they see us as grasshoppers in their eyesight. Like these, these guys are large. There's no way we can take this land. And, and they come back and they give this report, right? And then all but two of them. And, and they, they all come back and they, and they say, we, we can't do this. And God says, well, for the 40 days you spied on the land, in the 40 days that you were there, you're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And so they wind up going through and they spend 40 years wandering. Now, when we get to this point of the book of Joshua, it's 40 years later, the time has come that they're going to enter the land, right? All the previous generation had died off for their unbelief. And they go into the land, and time has come for them to possess the land. And, and, and all that, their covenant, that the covenant Lord has promised Israel throughout all the centuries. 
right? This is the land that they had, he had told their great, 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 great grandfather Abraham. He says, I will give you and your offspring after you the land of all your sojourning and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God, right? This is Genesis chapter 17. And this is why he brought them out of their slavery out of Egypt. This is why when, when he, after, well, after Joseph, after he comes through the land 400 years later, this is why he brings them out is so that they can come and take possession of this land. This is what their 40 years in the desert was always anticipating. This was how the sovereign Lord would now fulfill his often repeated promise throughout Scripture. Right? This is a pattern that we see going right back to, the, to God's beginning of the, his dealings with Abram. Right? When Abram was Ur of the Chaldeans, right? he received this divine summons. It says this in Genesis chapter 12. It says, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And we see here in this very beginning, this very first promise, there, there is a, this clear command. And, and not only is it just a clear command, but it's a command that really doesn't have any roadmap. He doesn't really, Abram doesn't understand what's going to happen, where he's supposed to go, what's supposed to, to do. There's no detailed schedule, no explanation as to how it's all supposed to happen. But what Abram understood is he had all that he really needed. He had the promise that was given to him by his God. He had the promise of the sovereign Lord and he would show him the land and later give it to him and all of his family. And so what we see is this command and, and this promise run together throughout the entire Bible. And so here for Joshua, the command is to cross over the River Jordan. And the promise is that God is now going to give his people their promised land. You know, when we look at this command and this promise, one of the things that we have to understand is that both the command and the promise depend upon the sovereignty of God expressed in his will and achieved by his power. And so it is with God's people. God's people both believe the promises and they obey the commands. And when they do so, they enter into a, a relationship, right? They enter in an experience of fellowship with God that at its deepest and most intimate relational level. And the same is true for us today. When we believe God, when we follow his commands, we enter into an experience of fellowship with God at the deepest relational level. But why is it that we often fail to obey God's commands? Right? Why do we fail to obey God's commands? Because... because here we see that if we obey his commands, if we believe his word, we're going to be in the best, deepest relationship with him. I'll tell you why most of the time we fail. It's because we really don't believe God's promises. Right? We, we, we don't believe God's promises, and, and the two always go together. Right? Faith leads to obedience, and disobedience is always rooted in distrust. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. Why did Adam and Eve, why did Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree? 
right? It's because they did not trust God. They did not trust the plan that God had for their life. And they said, you know what, God? We think we know better than you. And so their disobedience was rooted in their distrust of what God's plan was for their lives. And we fight that very same sin today. The very first sin of mankind is the very same sin that we fight today that we just don't trust God. We sin against God and we do the things that we want to do and not the things that he wants us to do because we don't trust the plan that God has laid out for us in Scripture. We believe that we know better than God. And so Joshua has this daunting task ahead of him. Right? He's trying to to get the people to believe and trust God's word. Moses had just died. He passed the reins off to Joshua. Moses was the friend of God. He was the one who met with God face to face. It was how the people communicated with God. He went up on the mountain. He got the Ten Commandments. He, he, he would go in. He would bow before God. He would often pray, Lord, don't spare the people, right? God, take care of them. It, it was, he would come back. And they, remember what happened when he was up on the mountain and they saw it shake and they said, don't let the Lord speak to us because we're scared he's going to kill us. You speak to God on our behalf. And so this figurehead for them, had done this for all these years that they had wandered, and now he's dead. No longer is God going to communicate through this one man, Moses, but through his prophets and through his written word. A written word that he had just given to Moses, or given to his people through Moses, right? Moses, at this point, we have in this point in history, we have the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and the freshly penned Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. And so now what Joseph has to, or Joshua, not Joseph, Joshua has to do is to try to get the Israelites... He had to lead the people to be dependent upon the written word of God. Just as Christian leaders today have to do. Right? He had to get them to be dependent on the written word and the spirit of wisdom. We face a very daunting task in our increasingly hostile culture with the good news of Christ. Right, Because one of the things that we do, we have to teach people to be dependent upon the Word of God in the hands of the Spirit of God to accomplish the work of God. And this is what Joshua was trying to do, and this is what we're trying to do even today. And if Joshua was going to get the people of Israel to advance, right, this was vital to get them to go through and do the things that God wanted them to do. It's the same thing for ourselves that we have to do today is we have to teach people to be relying upon the written word of God through the Holy, in, in the, with the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives to do the things that God wants them to do. And so what we see here is when we put ourselves in the hands of the Holy Spirit, we know the promises that he's made will be accomplished by his works and not our own. But he's going to accomplish this work in mankind. 
And so the first affirmation we see here in the text, the very first thing, the very first affirmation we see is that God's people live on promises and by faith. God's people live on promises and by faith. Look at verse 1. After the death of Moses, a servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, the people of Israel. Pay attention here in verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I have promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the setting sun shall be your territory. But it's not just what he had promised Moses. It goes further back to Abraham, right? It's what we read earlier. Go from your country into your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you, right? This clear command that, that, that is comp, accompanied by no roadmap, no sense of direction, no schedule, no explanation about how things are going to go on. But what Abraham, again, rem remembered or understood is that he could believe the promises of the sovereign Lord and that he was going to see a land that was going to be given to him and all of his family. And for 400 years, this is the promise, right, that the Israelites looked forward to. 400 years they spent in slavery in Egypt. 40 years then they spent wandering the desert, always looking toward the promise that was made to their great, great, great grandfather. Can you imagine waiting on that kind of promise? Like, like part of us, like some of us have a hard time waiting two minutes for the microwave to finish. <laughs> I mean, we put two minutes on, we're making our oatmeal in the morning and it gets all the way and it's like 157 and you're like, ding, I'm going to open the door now because I can't wait three more seconds for this to happen. They're waiting 440 years for a promise to come and they know, then they don't step back and they're not going, well, God's not going to do it. I guess we're going to come over here. Maybe there was a few of them, but they knew God said he's going to do it. God said he's going to accomplish this. And we believe that it's going to happen because they understood the nature of God. And that God, when he says he's going to do something, God will do it and God will accomplish it. It's not if he's going to do it. It's not can he do it. It's when and what time on his plan and on his schedule. And they knew. They knew and they believed God's promise because of who he is. And so starting in verse 3, we read, and in, we read, what we read is entirely God's promises. God's declaring his intentions. And there's three things to which God unreservedly commits himself to. First thing is he, goes, he says he's going to give him, to give them the land to its fullest extent. He's going to overcome their enemies. And he's going to be with Joshua as he was with Moses. And each one of these, each one of these promises is guaranteed as a fulfillment of the word that's already spoken. God didn't say, it's not, well, I might do this. God says, no, it's done. I'm going to accomplish this for you. Now, some of you are probably wondering, and you're like, yeah, but I've read the rest of that story. I've read the rest of the book of Joshua, Pastor. And I can just tell you right now that they didn't really get all the land. There, there was issues that were going on. They didn't fully possess the land. And so I'm saying, well, you're right. 
Scripture absolutely tells us that they went in and they were to drive out everyone in the land and they would have it for themselves. And so I want to give you two considerations, two important considerations here. The first is that the, the actual, actualization of what is promised is dependent on the wholehearted obedience of God's people. The actualization of what is promised is dependent on the wholehearted obedience of God's people, right? The sadness of the book of Joshua is that the conquest was far from complete. They compromised and they, and, and they allowed comfort to take over. You know what? I'm okay. We've done enough. I, I know God said to do this, but you know what? I'm good. And so they stopped. And they didn't fulfill all of God's commands. And so the, that, that meant that many of the inhabitants of the land were never dislodged. They were not driven from the land. And since they weren't driven from the land, they never saw the completion of God's promise. The same unbelief and lack of faith that kept their parents from entering the land 40 years earlier, surfaced in this next generation. They were unable to enter because of unbelief, is what Hebrews 13 tells us. Right? They were, that's talking of the Exodus generation, but by extension of the very same weakness, it was revealed in their descendants. Church, don't, don't think that your sins don't have an effect on the next generation. There's, there's not, that there's not a residual effect on your own children. I can't tell you how many times I have sat with older generations and they, they, they talk and they say, I just don't understand why. I don't understand why my, my kids and my grandkids aren't in church I've been faithful for the last 30 years. Most of them are in their late 70s, early 80s. And I begin to ask questions and just probing and just trying to be as gentle as I can. And I find out that when they were in their 20s and when they were in their 30s and when they were in their 40s, the things that were driving them and their family was we were going camping and we were going to the park and we were going to the lake and we were over here doing this and we were over here doing that and there wasn't a center of priority of church within their own life. There was no discipleship happening in their children's life. They weren't teaching their children the things that they needed to be teaching. They weren't following Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? They, they were not showing the children and how important it is to have a relationship with Christ. And so when they get, and, and when they get to their older age and they, they themselves have been faithful from the time they were 50 to the time they were 80 and they just don't understand why their kids are not faithful now, I'm like, it's because you set a precedence early in their life that church isn't important or it's only for old people. And it breaks my heart. Second affirmation that we see this morning, is that God, God's people have the promise of victory over the enemy. 
Verse five, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. I swore to their fathers to give them. Israel had the victory secured over the inhabitants of the land if they would have just followed through with number one if they would have believed the promise and lived by faith. God, I believe the promise and I'm going to follow through in my faith to do all that you've commanded me to do. Church, we don't necessarily face the same enemy. We're not going out running and trying to conquer a particular land, but we do have an enemy ourselves, and the enemy of sin and Satan and death and hell. And we too have the victory over these things if we believe by faith, believe the promise of God and live by faith. If we believe the promise of God and live by faith, we have victory over sin, Satan, death, and hell. This is what Romans 10, 9 tells us, is that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved, right? There, the, here it is, right? We see that the faith and action, it's the two things that go together. We believe in our heart and we speak with our mouth. It's faith and action. It's, it goes together. It's what James teaches us in James, James chapter 2. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses saves. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of them all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved now I want to go on and I want to read the rest of Romans chapter uh, chapter 10 here for you and I want to read verses 14 and 15 because it's going to play into the next section of what we're going to it's going to play into affirmation number three it says how then will they call on him whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news right and so because of this promise that we see here in Romans right we see the third affirmation is that God's people live in obedience God's people live in obedience. Only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do all that the law of Moses, my servant, has commanded you. Do not turn from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all according to what is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success, right? Church, obedience in this sense does not mean that we blindly accept anything that's placed before us or out in front of us. Obedience is living like God has called us to live and doing what God has called us to do. That's what Christian obedience is to pay attention to his word, to meditate on it day and night so that we, uh, so that we are to take care to do according to all that is written in it. Right? And when we pay attention to God's word, when we live by God's word, then we see success come in our life. And success does not mean that our bank accounts are going to get bigger or that, or, or that our houses are going to get larger or that we're going to just be whatever. But success is, is that we are doing what God has called us to do. And sometimes that looks like suffering. But there's also other areas as Christians that we need to be obedient in. 
that as Christians that there's a couple of areas that we struggle with. And I'm going to give you two of them this morning. Those two things are evangelism and discipleship. We struggle as Christians with evangelism and discipleship. Both of these areas really go back to Joshua, take strength and take courage, be strong and be courageous. It's said that the average Christian leads one person, one person to faith in Jesus Christ their entire lifetime. Not a year, their entire lifetime. The average Christian leads one person to faith in Jesus Christ their entire lifetime. Now, this is an average. And so some of you may think, well, brother, I've led three or four people to faith in Jesus Christ in my lifetime. Wonderful. Praise God. Keep at it. Keep working at it. But that also means that every other per, that for every person that you've led, if you've led four people, that it means that three other people, three other Christians have never in their lifetime led anyone to faith in Jesus Christ. I was going through some evangelism training with, this, with some dear folks at a church, and I was teaching them how to share their own personal story of how they came to faith. And this little old lady had come to the training. She had sat down. She wrote her story. She was 80 years old, and she said, this is the first time, the first time in my life that I've ever told anybody how I came to faith in Jesus Christ. 80 years old. I didn't want to believe that statistic of one. But yet I've seen it confirmed over and over and over and over. But you know why we struggle in evangelism? It's because we don't follow the command to make disciples. Because we're not engaged in discipleship. Churches struggle today. The thing that we see continually is how do I make disciples? How can we get a discipleship program? How can we be involved? How can we make sure that people are, are, are growing in their faith? We need, we need to have this because my church is dying, right? I can tell you, if you do not have discipleship, you will not have evangelism. You can have evangelism and no discipleship, but I can tell you pretty much if you don't have any discipleship, you're not going to have any evangelism because people just won't know that they, I need to go tell people. That's what discipleship does. It, it sharpens us. It, it teaches us. It, it, gives us, it gives us the ability to share our faith. Going back to verse 7, verse 7 tells us that the strength and courage are directly dependent upon careful, detailed obedience to the written word of God and the law given to Moses. See, Joshua here is to be under the authority of God, mediated by his written word, as every believer who has become the recipient of direct revelation throughout the Bible, through the Bible writers, is to be. Right? In the same sense, Joshua stands with us as we face the spiritual balladges and, and, and this, time of our, this time in our own history. And you, you may say, say well, brother, I, I'm pretty scared. I've never discipled anybody. I've never been discipled. I've never evangelized. I've never done anything. And, and I'm not even sure if I can do this. And you're, you're asking me to do stuff. I'm an introvert. I don't like talking to people. I go home and I shut the garage door and I pull the blinds because I just don't want to talk to my neighbors. 
And I would tell you that if that, 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 that you don't have to be scared. You don't have to worry about those things. You don't have to, to, to think that you are incapable because here's what, you, here's what that fourth affirmation tells us is that because God's people live in his presence, you can do these things because God's people live in his presence. Look what Joshua told the Israelites here. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. You have been brought from death into life and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And no matter where you go, no matter what you do, you have Christ with you. I'm going to give you a controversial take here just for a second, okay? You don't have to have two or three people gathered together just to have the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay? Some of we, we, take, that, we take that text way out of context. First thing I would tell you is go back and look at Matthew 18 and see what's being, what's being taught above that. At that point, there's sin that's happening within the church or somebody within, uh, against one brother or the other, and, and there's instructions about how to deal with sin. And so what happens is he goes through and he says, right, he, he gives you the instructions of Matthew 18 of go privately, go with a couple of brothers, then go to the church. And then he comes down here to the very end and he tells them, look, if two or three of you are gathered together and what he's teaching them is that if you are unified and that this sin is happening in the church, there's unity and I'm amongst the unity that's happening there. And so he's saying, I'm unified in you in going against this sin. And it's not just that you are, that's the only time that, that the Spirit of God can come or indwells. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God indwells you and he is with you wherever you go, whether there's two or three people with you or not. And so you can be strong and you can be courageous. If he was only with us when we gathered, he wouldn't have told the disciples in Matthew 28, behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. I am with you when you are teaching. I am with you when you are baptizing. I am with you when you are making disciples. Therefore, be strong and be courageous. Fifth affirmation, God expects his people to prepare and plan. God expects his people to prepare and plan. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan and go and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. God never expects us to go willy-nilly into something without first having some preparation. The task that was laying ahead the Israelites was a major one. There were battles that were going to be fought. They were, they, there was, they were headed into new territory. Only a few of the spies had been to where they were going. Only a few knew the direction. It, it was going to be a major undertaking. They had heard the reports. They knew what lay ahead. But yet they still needed to prepare. And in some sense, that's what we're doing here today, right? We, we are 
coming amongst the camp. We are here today asking you to prepare, to, to get ready, to be prepared for what lies ahead, what lies ahead today, what lies ahead tomorrow, what lies ahead this year, what lies ahead for this church. This camp should be preparing itself to say, Lord, we know that there's things that are going to be in front of us. There's new territory for us to go out. There's new things that are going to happen. And Lord, we need to prepare ourselves. They consecrated themselves. They provided themselves to the Lord. They said, Lord, we are devoting ourselves wholly and completely to you. And so we are preparing ourselves. They began to count the cost. No king goes into battle without first counting the cost, Luke 14, 31. Or what king goes out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Church, you don't walk into the enemy's camp and plant your flag in the midst of them without first getting yourself prepared. Right? This is what discipleship is. This is why discipleship is so important. This is where we sharpen our swords, so to speak. This is where we come and we, we, we work together and we talk amongst one another and we, we discuss Scripture and we take God's Word and we try to understand and we apply it to our lives so that we can become more like Him, so that we can display it to the rest of the world, so that we can be the light in the rest of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. This is, this is why it's so important for us to be, to be going together. Because let me tell you, it, there, there's safety in discipleship. Do you know that? There's safety in discipleship. Because when we come together amongst brothers and sisters, and when we're trying to learn God's word, and if we make a mistake amongst brothers and sisters, they're there to help us, to support us, to point us, to show us, to teach us. And yet, when, if we don't go through discipleship, if we're not plugging ourselves into small groups, if we're not plugging ourselves in, in, into discipleship groups, if we're not doing those things, then there, we run a risk and a danger of going out and, and going amongst the enemy and then wind up either doing a couple of things. One, we wind up saying something we really shouldn't say or saying something the Bible doesn't say. Or two, we wind up really defeated because they know something that we don't know or they come up with an argument that we've never heard or never prepared for. Now, some people would say, well, that's, that's why I don't do that stuff. That's why I don't engage people. I, I, what if they ask me something that I don't know? Well, then get in discipleship. Then say, I don't know. I'll come back and I'll talk to you about it tomorrow. That's a great question. I've never thought of it that way. I'll see if I can figure this out. Let me, let me go back and study God's word more because I know that the answer is here. And I'll be able to help you with that. Because sitting on the sidelines just isn't an option for the Christian. Right? It's just not our option. It's not our option to go in, into our houses and close the garage door and pull the blinds. It's not our option to say, you know what, I'm going to sit over here and that's what the pastor is supposed to do. That's what the, the elders are supposed to do. That's what the, the lay leaders are supposed to do. That's what the Sunday school teachers. No, th this is a job for all of us. The command that, the, that he's going to be with us to the ends of the age is not was not just for the apostles or the disciples. It was for everyone. Right? Some people want to say, no, he just told them to go tell everybody and I don't have to do that. Well, if, that command, if that's the case, if you believe that, then the promise to be to the end of the age was with them and not with you. And I'm telling you, if you want to claim that promise, if you want to say he's with us to the end of the age, then you also have to take the responsibility of going and teaching and preaching and making disciples amongst all the nations. 
So we don't sit on the sidelines. Because what we see is God expects us to move forward. Hang with me. We just got a couple more here. And the Reubenites and to the Reubenites and the Gadites, the half tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that, the, that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over the armed before your brothers and, and shall help them until the Lord gives you rest to your brothers as he has to you. They also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. And the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. Church, if you remember what happened when they went, they were afraid to move forward for the, the very first time. Right? They, 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 they were afraid to move forward when they approached the promised land. They, they spent years wandering in the desert because of their unbelief because, because they, and they, they spent all this time waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. You know, sometimes we wonder why we just can't seem to get over a hump. There, there seems to be this, this glass ceiling that, that, that we can tend to bump against. Maybe it's in our personal life. Maybe it's in the life of our church. Maybe, maybe it's in our family. And I, I can't say for sure what's holding you back. I can't say for sure, oh, it's this specifically or it's that specifically. I can't say it's a lack of obedience, a lack of faith, some hidden sin. Maybe it's God's just saying, just not right now. Not this way. Yeah. Remember, if you go back to the Exodus story and they come and they, they tell Moses that they can't do it, that the Nephilim are there, they're giants in the land, things are, things are too big. And Moses delivers that terrible news that they're going to spend 40 years for 40 days. If you go back and you read a little further, they said, oh, we'll do it now. No, we'll, we'll do it now. We're, we're going to go on and, 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 and we're, we'll follow the Lord's command. And, and God said, not right now. Like, I'm going to fulfill this for you. Not this way. Not in your power. See, you're going to go in your power, not in mine. And if you go in your power, you're going to be defeated. See, God wants us to do things His way and in His time and for His glory. Sometimes God says, you need to wait. God says, yeah, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust in my plan to show the world it's not about you, but it's about me. And so after 40 years of wandering in the desert, God said, it's now time to move the for the Israelites to move and go across the Jordan. And what happened at this point is the Israelites responded and were obedient to his commands. See, God's people respond and are obedient to his commands. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commands and disobeys your words, whatever, command, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Church, there's a lot of battles 
that you're going to fight this year. I don't know what they are. But I know every church has a battle that they're going to fight. Hopefully they're all external. There could be some that are internal. But I can tell you this is just going to be the first battle you're going to face is just your Jericho, if you will. It's the first one that's going to come and there's going to be more to do and more to accomplish. There's still more I know that your pastor and your staff want to accomplish here in this church. There's still more that they want to see accomplished within this community. They want to see things. There's more ministries they would love to see expand and and grow and and to reach the community, not just, just so that we can say we have all these things that we're doing and we have all these numbers that are going on, but so that you become a light in a community that needs Jesus Christ, that people find hope and redemption and healing in this place, and they find Jesus Christ. We're not trying to conquer the entire land of Canaan. But we are fighting each battle as they come to as they come to us. And as churches, we have to fight this as an entire group, as a church who's unified, who knows their mission, who knows their vision, who knows where they're going, who's doing that. And the only way that you accomplish those things is when you gather together on a regular basis, whether it's in worship or it's small groups, when you come together and you pray together and you worship together and you serve together. And so what I'm asking you now is to be strong and courageous as you enter this year, as you move forward and as you see the doors that God's open. If there's something that God is calling to you to be a part of, be strong and be courageous. Follow God's command, respond and be obedient. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship together. Lord, to come through and study your word. Lord, to see how you loved us. Lord, how you care for us, how you continually, Father, just... Speak truth into our lives. Father, the same promises that you've made to to Joshua are promises that, that, that you have made to us, that you are going to fulfill them, that you are going to care for us. Lord, that you are going to watch over us. Father, that you expect us to move forward, to prepare. Father, to be engaged in the battle and to be obedient sons and daughters. Lord, help us to serve this community well. Help us to reach those who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that there are those who are even in attendance today who do not know you as Lord and Savior. Father, that they seek out one of the leaders of this church. Father, that they seek out myself, Lord, so that they can come to know what it means to truly give their life over to Jesus Christ, not just as a cursory knowledge, not to make him president or somebody they follow some of the time or part of the time or just the parts they like, but Father who says that they will, are willing to follow you with the very whole of their being to wherever you go. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.